sound okay to you or can we put it back like this so that you can hear it in both ears oh it don't matter it don't Whatever matter does the best with me <clears throat> well i don't know you got bad ears so um we're in <clears throat> okay let's get this started three two one go hey mom hi what's going on much enjoying this dreary weather tell the folks where we're at we are in vancouver washington visiting your daughter kaylee and my granddaughter and her husband and our grandson levi well we're visiting them i want to adjust this microphone so you can talk to the side of it well we're visiting them because you had to do that funeral so i came up to see my Babies. And you're going to stay for a couple more days, right? I'm flying out tonight, and you're staying until Saturday. Yeah. That should be fun. Yeah, except for the flight back home. I'm not looking forward to that. Well, <clears throat> you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Do you guys got plans for while you're staying, or are you just going to fly by the seat of your pants? Probably that. That would be good. whatever comes up, comes up. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Okay. Well, this is episode three, and today we're going to try to cover chapters six and seven of the book, The Art of Teshuva. Uh, if this is your first time listening, go back. Uh, we've got two other episodes, and it explains a lot what it is. I'll have a link to the book in the podcast notes. Uh, be aware that is an affiliate link, so if you do buy the book, I do potentially... I'm supposed to potentially maybe make some money off of it. How many they have to sell to I, buy? I don't know the algorithm. Hmm. I don't know. I guess when I get a check, I'll know. I guess. Well, I guess. Or I but could probably. But you, you enjoy this book anyway, whether people buy it or not. Yeah, whether you buy it or not, uh, whether you use mm -hmm. my affiliate link or not. Um, it's just the way that, you know, if you're like, hey, I'm going to buy the book and I want to support Scott and this podcast, it, potentially it could do that. But Teshuva. For those of you who don't know, is an ancient Hebrew word that's often translated in Scripture as repent. Uh, but it's much, much more than that. It's about returning to the divine essence of who you are, uh, who you were created to be. Uh, so here we go. Chapter 6 is titled, Death, Taxes, and Teshuva. There's an old aphorism which claims that two things in life are certain, death and taxes. That's but, true. Yeah. But to Rabbi Cook, oh, I'm sorry, to this, Rabbi Cook would add a third certainty, Teshuvah. Uh, before we begin to explore the multifaceted world of Teshuvah as it applies to the individual and to the existence of the whole, it is important to know that the return to the source is inevitable. Just as the body has a built-in mechanism for self-healing, so does mankind. Teshuvah is promised, Teshuvah will come, the world will return to its maker. I like that um, certainty. Later on, he's going to use a word called determinism. But the fact is that, and it's true about the body. The body has a built-in mechanism, for the most part, to heal itself. I mean, obviously, there's some debilitating things that just end life. But from a nursing standpoint, would you agree that the body can heal itself? Well, it can, but it doesn't always do that. 
if it did. People would live forever. <clears throat> yeah, your daddy would still be here. Right. Right. But um, I do like this idea, though, that he uses that to go on and point out that the way God created Teshuvah, the way he's interlaced it within the fabric of creation, that the world will return to the perfection in which it was intended. And that's a thing that you see throughout Scripture is that uh, it, it starts in a garden and then there in the Revelation, the world is back at the garden. Um, so there's that. Uh, page 67, it says, The comforting words of Rabbi Cook as he passed by the Valley of Hinnom in Jerusalem come to assure us that the world is indeed becoming a better place. We discussed this in uh, episode 2. Um, that was the story where he was walking by with another rabbi and the guy was talking about how secular society was um, based on just a few generations ago. All these people's families were orthodox and were very, very religious and, and carrying out the ways of the Torah. And they aren't now. And that was when Rabbi Cook pointed over to this Valley of Hinnom. And he said, just a few generations ago, people were sacrificing their children over there and they're not doing that anymore his point is the world is getting better and you and i discussed the last time that oftentimes we just view the world through our lens through what we see through the news stories that we read but if you take a broader look you get up on the mountaintop and you look down you can see that no things have gotten better in our society are they where they should be do we have room to grow absolutely but the world has gotten better. He goes on to write, Generally, the world is a healthier place than it was just a few decades ago. This world development is all a part of Teshuvah. As we mentioned in chapter 1, not only is mankind destined for Teshuvah, the animal world, the plant world, even the sun and moon are all destined to return to their original purity. Our sages teach that one day the lion will lay down with the lamb. That's a direct quote quote out of Isaiah you see a lot of pictures or paintings and things like that but here these uh you know predator and prey are going to lay down together yeah that's amazing isn't it to think that that little lamb is going to lay down with that big ferocious lion and whether that lion's hungry or not he's not going to bother him he's not going to bother him it goes back when uh they threw Daniel, was it Daniel in the lion's mm -hmm. den? In the lion's den, and all those <clears throat> lions didn't hurt him. That's to me was an amazing story. It is an amazing story. I think one of them would eat him. You know, you know, God's in control there. Well, and the ironic <clears throat> thing is, typically when they did that, they'd starve the lion for a few days. Yeah, so he's gonna be hungry. Right. Nothing is more certain is the title is the title of this uh, next section of this chapter. It says, uh, one might argue that while the world constantly develops in cultural and material spheres, Teshuva is destined to re remain a dream. Um, and God we trust may be written on the dollar, but the dollar is worshipped far more. Not only that, but violence and murder are rampant all over the world. And in the matter of sexual purity, man today is not much more elevated than the average Viking of the past. Nonetheless... Rabbi Cook has hope. Teshuvah is ever-present in the heart. Even at the moment of transgression itself, Teshuvah is hidden in the soul, and it sends out its rays, which afterward are revealed when remorse calls out for Teshuvah. In the depths of life, Teshuvah exists, 
since teshuva preceded the world and before sin occurred, the remedy for, for teshuva has already been prepared. Therefore, nothing is more certain in this world than teshuva. In the end, everything will return to the perfect state. He's going back to this idea of returning to <clears throat> that perfect state in which everything was created. <clears throat> I like this idea, though, where he says that um, teshuva preceded the world and that teshuva is already there. It's what I said yesterday during the funeral, that everything you need to live in this life, to enjoy this life, to uh, to live the richness and fullness that this life has to offer is already within you. That's why I, I often, when I hear people say, oh, pray for me that I have patience. Well, you already have patience. It's a matter of going and dipping into that resource and that well and using it. I think it's a little ironic that your podcast today is on the death. It's on death, considering that's why you're here today. That's yeah. why you're here in Washington, uh, because of someone very close had passed away. Uh, you know, a very young person. So I was thinking about that when you read this. We're talking about death today, and I thought, well, that's kind of odd that it's come up the chapters have have followed to coincide with our visit to washington today well i would go back to uh at the start of the book where rabbi cook uh had written that once he started understanding and studying teshuva mm -hmm. it was a foundation for everything everything and so this whole idea that you return um is there and it's the foundation for everything i like this idea that <clears throat> uh, even the moment of transgression itself teshuva is hidden in the soul and it sends out its rays which afterward are revealed when remorse calls out for teshuva uh, i think in the last episode you kept referring to that as conviction yeah and that's and that's that that's that feeling of remorse or sadness that you get when you know that something in your life isn't right and, and there's something you need to do to change that. There's, or I've done something wrong. Right. The abandonment and rebellion mm -hmm. against the commandments of God is a terrible moral regression, which only seizes a man through his frightening immersion in the vulgarness of material life. It is possible that for a time, a generation, or part of it, in one place or another, will become entangled in the thicket of moral blindness to the point that it won't sense all the ethical, decent, inherent, and in the abandonment of the laws of God. But the law does not lose its value because of this. Teshuva is determined to come and will be revealed. For sick will be revealed. For the sickness of forgetting the divine world cannot, be a, cannot have a permanent hold in man's nature. Like a polluted spring, it returns to its purity. I think about this in our day and time. Um, obviously, you can see communities, cultures, other countries, third world countries, and you think there is no hope. They've, they've, they're, they're in no way focusing on what he's talking about here as far as that divine teshuva. And there's no healing. It just looks like it's just getting worse and worse and worse in that country. 
And that's what he says. It, it may happen for a time or for a generation or part of it, but it doesn't stop the fact that Teshuvah is there and that like a polluted spring, it returns to its purity. I think that's just a beautiful image of hope. Since Teshuvah, back to the book, since Teshuvah is inevitable, it, behoove us, it behooves us to get on the proverbial boat. After all, who wants to lose out on a good thing? Once we know that Teshuvah is the real goal in life, why waste time pursuing illusory things like money, power, and fame simply because they don't seem so illusory? Those are tangible things, money, power, fame. But he's saying, well, they're really not. They may seem like they are, but they're really not. He goes on to write, In a competitive capitalist culture, people tend to live for me and not for us. Things like a, things like morality and big business or in our private lives can easily be overlooked. But Rabbi Cook insists, but Rabbi Cook insists this is destined to change. The future will reveal a miracle of power of teshuva, and this revelation will capture the whole world with an incredible fever. A new revelation will captivate every heart with its wonder, and its spirit will influence all people. Then the world will rise to its true rebirth. Sin will cease, and the spirit of impurity will be consumed as if burned, and the evil will vanish like smoke. One day, the world is going to get turned on to, to Teshuvah. There's a footnote there, and it's footnote number 14 on page 71. And it says, it quotes Zechariah 8, 23. And many peoples and mighty nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem. And they shall take hold of the corners of the garment of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. This idea that he keeps coming back to over and over, and we discussed this, I think, in chapter 1 and in chapter 2, that when we begin to return to our true divine self, not only does it make us better, but it draws other people to that divine essence as well. And when they're drawn to that divine essence as well, and they become better, then the community is drawn to that divine essence. And as that community is drawn to the divine essence, this ultimate prophecy here that's found in Zechariah, the world is drawn to that divine essence. It's that whole idea that I'm not, you know, at first you do teshuva, at first you start getting healthy for who? For you. Right, But as you begin to get healthy, other people see that. How many times do you see on social media that they've got, um, they share those Facebook posts of somebody who got healthy. They were on this diet and they're doing that. And then somebody else says, oh my gosh, I want that. Well, then they start doing it. Yeah, they see something that they like or they can see a difference in a person. And they think, well, they've done it. Surely I may not do as well as they, but I can do a little bit, right. hopefully. So their actions influence your actions. It's true. And your well, it's actions. The same with, it's the same with uh, uh, Christianity. When you see someone and you see how their life is, how they're living their life, I'm not saying they're not going to have problems because they are, and they're going to have issues, but there's, there's just something about a person that you have known before, maybe when they didn't know Christ as their mm -hmm. Savior, and then when they come to know him and accept him and they surrender to that conviction, you can see a difference in their life. And people, 
around them can see that and they can see what great things they can do or not necessarily great things but the joy they can share with someone else or maybe just be able to uh, be there listen to them better I think I think you have a better ability to listen to people and and to say look I've been there uh, I don't know what you're going through but I know where you'll go at the end and uh, one thing is true also with everything with um, addiction recovery absolutely you know when you see somebody who you knew was just in the throes of addiction whether it be alcoholism drugs whatever and you watch them go through that battle and then they come out the other side well somebody else who's in that throw can say you know what they did it i mean that's the whole point of the uh, support groups right is to let you know hey i i've done it i'm doing it and it's important you have a good support group a good community right i would yeah make sure you have a good support group to help get you through that right jim Rohn was a motivational speaker self-help guru author and one of the things that he said is you are the average of the five people you surround yourself with the top five people so if you begin this process of bettering yourself returning to that divine essence and you surround yourself with other people who are in that process you're all becoming better and you're all becoming stronger and you start influencing others which people often ask you know the purpose of life and there's a lot of there's a lot out there that you can say about it but after reading this book the purpose of life that i'm coming to believe is not only for me to return as he's talking about to that divine creation in which i was done created and he's going to say this in this next chapter but it's for me to share that light with the world and help bring others to an understanding of what their divine essence is correct so Let's do chapter 7. It's entitled, The Joy of Teshuva. What is the reason for this? What is the source of this joy? Teshuva is the healthiest feeling possible. A healthy soul, a healthy body, must necessarily bring about the great joy of Teshuva. And the soul consequently feels the greatest natural pleasure. So, as he's saying, as you become healthier in your body you become healthy in your soul you feel this greatest pleasure that you can feel and and i would say you know i guess in a secular term you're going to find your purpose in life you're going to find your why back to the book page 74 it is important to note the connection which rabbi cook makes between teshuva and health as we learned in chapter two a healthy body is an important foundation of teshuva contrary to the picture of the pennant as a gloomy, frail, bent-over recluse who shuns the world, the true Baal Teshuva is healthy, happy, robust, and bur- bursting with life. I like that he points out that contrast. Oftentimes, you know, when you talk about somebody who's pious or spiritual or holy, you do get this image of that he described right here, you know, somebody who's just a recluse they're gloomy they're shuns the world they they stay away from the world and he said no no that p- person who is experiencing true teshuva is not only healthy they're happy robust and busting with life 
He goes on in the next paragraph and writes this. He says, when a person rids himself of bad habits, his health is improved. Without these harming elements, he is stronger and more vibrant. So too, when one rids oneself of bad moral habits and base character traits, his spiritual health is improved. When he is both physically and spiritually healthy, his capability to experience the divine is enhanced. I take that to mean that if I'm not going to take the time to be physically healthy and spiritually healthy, I'm not going to get to experience what God truly has in my life. What do you think about that? Well, I think the spiritual healthy is definitely a must. Uh, you don't think physically healthy is definitely a must? Well, physical must? healthy is too, but sometimes you're just lazier. For me, I'll speak for me on the physical healthiness. Well, if you're going to be lazy on the physical, wouldn't you therefore also be lazy on the spiritual? Probably so, because it's a lot easier to do nothing than to do something. Easier to do nothing than something. Yep. We should make that a t-shirt. It is. You know, it used to be enjoy the view from the pew. Yeah. Because I don't want to do anything. I'm tired of it, and I'm just going to sit here and just enjoy the view from the pew. And that that doesn't last too long. It doesn't. No. Well, you don't grow. No, you're sitting there and you're accumulating dust. Right, you're, you're, you're not dead. growing and you're wasting your time being there. Rabbi Cook writes, In measure with every ugly thing which a person eliminates from his soul when he inwardly longs for the light of Teshuvah, he discovers worlds, he discovers worlds filled with exalted illumination inside his soul. Every transgression removed is like the removal of a blindfold from the eye, and the entire horizon of vision is revealed. The light of unending expanses of heaven and earth and all that they contain. And so he talks about and all that they contain, uh, heaven and earth. I like that he ties together the physical and the spiritual. And that he, he makes this correlation that when I do things that benefit me physically, I experience better things in my life. I become more... Uh, I get more energy. I can do things. I can. I, I'm just better. My health gets better. He makes that same correlation with the spiritual health. That as you begin to remove these transgressions, these bad habits, these horrible things in your life that that's holding you down, he, he, and I love the imagery of pulling a patch, a blindfold off the eye. You start, you start to see new possibilities, new horizons, new opportunities. It's a beautiful image. This next section in chapter 7, he's going to talk about the ultimate freedom. The new spiritual horizons, which Teshuvah discovers, give him a feeling of freedom. This newfound freedom comes when the walls blocking God's light have been raised. The steadfast will, let me start that over, the steadfast will to always remain with the same belief to support the vanities or transgressions into which a person has fallen, whether in deeds or in thoughts, is a sickness caused by oppressive slavery that does not allow Teshuvah's light of freedom to shine in the full strength. For it is Teshuvah which aspires to the original freedom, true freedom, divine freedom, which is free of all bondage. It's important to note that um, when he's talking about slavery, slavery was a very real thing in Israel's uh, history. 
and a lot of times when they talk about you know being freed from Egypt, I mean, we're coming up on Passover. I believe it's in a week or so, and that's the celebration of that freedom from bondage, that freedom from slavery. But that's a theme throughout Scripture, and oftentimes Israel's used, well, Egypt is used as a as a metaphor referring to that. And even the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of Paul and a lot of the writers of the New Testament are talking about this freedom from bondage. Mm -hmm. And he's going to tell us here in these next few chapters that we can have that freedom. I like that passage that I read, the steadfast will to remain with the same beliefs. That's a human nature that we have. A lot of times we don't want change. You always hear people, don't you always hear people think, oh, I just wish things would change. And then it changes and they hate it. Yeah, people don't want change. They get, they get set in the way, and they're comfortable with it. And when something changes, they've got to step out of their little comfort box. And, you know, I'm guilty of that. It's like I'm doing just great. I'm doing okay where I'm at. But I personally like change, uh, or I did. Yeah. You know, when I worked, I liked not knowing what I was going to be doing the next day because I enjoyed the adventure, the or the change. The variety. Me, right. And me having to challenge myself and and bring back things that I knew. So I think change is good. And I think when you just stay in this little rut, and it gets dull and boring. It does, and you become numb. And you become numb, and you don't see, uh, potentially see what's out there for you, you know, because you, you have tunnel vision. You, you, you see get that blindfold that right. he was talking about. Right. You don't see other parts. You don't see other things. Yeah. So let's go back to the book. Okay. Sorry. No, no worries. People often think that in discovering God, one is restricting one's freedom and not expanding it. I love that phrase. Um, I heard somebody say the other day that uh, it's not that people don't know, and I'm paraphrasing this, so it, it's not that people don't know or don't understand things of faith they've just got a very negative definition or a very negative experience with things of faith and one of them would be that if if i was to start devoting myself to there's the dogs those aren't mine those aren't mine that's kayla <laughs> angelo's if i start devoting myself to the things of faith i'm restricting my life i'm 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 not allowing myself to enjoy life. And he said, no, you're, you're actually bringing on more freedom in life. It's true. I started asking you, how are you restricting? How are you restricting God when you? Well, the commandments, you got all these things that you can't do, you know, and unfortunately, we're not supposed to do them anyway. Well, unfortunately, a lot of people, well, but all the people hear is these, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, and that's all they ever hear in life, and so they think that all of the Bible is telling them what they can't do, how they have to live this boring life. Well, that goes back a to the morals. A very restrictive life. If they have a good moral and good outlook on life, they're not going to do that no way. So I don't know how, how that restricts, how that would restrict God. Well, I'm not saying you. No, I'm saying I mean, I don't, negative people. I'm understanding how that how negative people would feel that way because hopefully they wouldn't go out and do it anyway. Well, hopefully they would let's still just say honor. there's people who's not living an immoral life, but because of what they understand about Christianity or because of what they understand about faith, 
they think I'm not going to do that because all it's going to do is try to run my life and tell me what I can and can't do. Well, they think they can't have fun. Have fun. They think they can't experience life. They think they can't enjoy it. Yeah, they, they think that. They think it's a humdrum sit here with your hands crossed. and Yeah, they don't think you can have fun with it, and that's not what it's all about. That's not, and unfortunately, that's the fault of uh, us. Our, yeah, unfortunately, we're not teaching what it truly is to be free. He goes on to write, For a person who thinks this way, religion is perceived as a yoke of responsibility and bondage. But Rabbi Cook tells us the opposite. The discovery of God is the ultimate freedom. Often, this is what you and I were talking about earlier, often people are afraid to set out on a course of teshuva because they associate repentance with pain. While pain is a part of the teshuva process, the hardships of teshuva are quickly erased by the joy which the Baal teshuva discovers. We will explore the connection between teshuva and pain in more detail in chapter 11. So you guys stay tuned for chapter 11. It is important to note that, a, that the pain a person feels when he confronts his sins and his unholy past is only a temporary phase of teshuva. It resembles the pain of surgery. The uprooting of sin brings healing and joy in its wake, but the initial amputation is painful. It is difficult to give up the familiar, even if it be a bad habit. When a person understands this and opens himself up to change, he comes to be filled with a courageous new spirit and joy. His sins are forgiven, his life is renewed, and the world seems to be renewed with him. Immediately, he wants to share his good fortune with everyone. I think about that, and I keep coming back to this for some reason in my head. I think about that when I see pe people who have recovered from addiction. It's painful at first. I mean, they become a recluse. They don't want to do anything with anybody. They, they, it's painful. I mean, not only do they have the detox and withdrawals, they've got those urges to go back while their brain begins to rewire, and those neurons begin to you know, create new pathways so those uh, urges aren't as bad. But then you see that person who, who heals. And then you see that person want to go out and start helping other people heal. And they want to show them, look, I did it. I was there. Let me show you how. They want to share that good news. I, I just thought that was just a beautiful picture. And I do like that imagery. It goes back to what you said, that often a person doesn't want to give up the familiar. Well, going through detox is painful. Yeah, and to watch a person go through that is painful, and it's dangerous. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's painful, you know. And you're talking about surgery. Well, you go in the hospital, and you're feeling great because you've got to have surgery. You're feeling pretty good. You come out of surgery, and you are hurting. And it's like, wow, I, I wasn't in this much pain before, even though you needed the surgery. Mm-hmm. But you're going to go through pain while you recover. Mm -hmm. So it's the same, I guess, the way you're putting it, that book is saying. You know, you're feeling okay, and then you decide you're going to quit doing drugs or quit alcohol or quit whatever. Right. And you then, start to better your life spiritually. Right. And you're going to go through, it's going to be painful. Or the same person that says, okay, look, I'm going to start losing weight. Oh, that's horrible. It's painful. Yeah, because you like the cake and bread and... Or just sitting there and watching TV. and potato chips. It's good stuff, but... 
Yeah, but then you put it down, and that's painful. That's painful to give it up. It's yeah. painful to to walk by that soda and not grab it. It's painful to not just, you know, sit there and watch TV all day, to get up and actually go do something. But the more you do that, the easier it becomes. And then as that starts to become easier, you start to enjoy it. You start to actually enjoy feeling better. Well, you can you can justify that. Yeah, this stuff is good, so it was made, so... I need to eat it, which is not true. You can, if you can have a, if you can have a bite, a, not a a whole piece of pie bite, but a bite and then walk away. Then go for it. That's discipline. Yeah, but, but if it, you don't have the discipline. If you can't eat that pain. whole pie, if you can't put that down, you're in trouble. Yep. And I can talk. I'm talking to myself here too it's a lot easier for me to eat a piece of pie than it is for me to eat a bite that's why when you and i go out to eat we share we get dessert and we share and we get a small dessert right so now he's going to talk about this joy of teshuva another reason why the joy of teshuva is so great is because the happiness of teshuva is felt in the soul there's something about when you feel something in your soul. It's much, much better. Feels good. Yeah, when a person does sh- teshuva, he opens his soul to a river of spiritual delight. Not only are his senses affected, teshuva touches his soul. Uh, let's see, there is a passage I didn't highlight. When the light of teshuva appears and the desire for goodness beats purely in the heart, a channel of happiness and joy is open and the soul is nurtured from the rivers of delight. Um, remember he had that imagery in the last episode about Teshuvah as a river. It's going. It's working. The question is, are you in with the flow of Teshuvah or not? Now he's going to talk about heroes. And he, he has some things in here about the people that we idolize in our society. And then he goes on and says, The true man is a person involved in Teshuvah. He is a person who is always seeking to better himself, the person who is always trying to come closer to God. He is the man who is open to self-assessment and change, who is open to the courage to confront his soul's inner pain and transform its bitterness into joy. Uh, he has a footnote here. It's on page 79, the footnote's number 11. The more a man delves into the essence of Teshuvah, he will find it. He will find in it the source of heroism. Who is a hero? The man who conquers his evil inclination. You can do a lot of great things in this life, but I think the greatest of those is to confront your own inner demons and to be able to wrestle with them and to be able to overcome them. Um, and we all have that and that's what he's saying here when you can get your soul and you can put those under control that's heroism yes and it's hard to confront them because it seems like when you confront it 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 seems like they get worse you know or for me and I think I should just left it alone and not even brought it forth because Mm -hmm. now I'm having to really work harder on it so it goes back to it's easier to do nothing and just ignore it right than it is to do something and conquer it because it's you know it's hard it's hard but it's worth it 
in the long run, and it may take you a lifetime to get through that. But as long as you keep working on it, you know, you don't have to go from bottom to the end because you're not going to do that. If you can just make a little improvement each day, each day of your life, set yourself small goals right? and and go from there. And once you've accomplished the goal that you've done for today, then you have another goal. But at the same time, when you set that second goal, you have to revisit the first goal and start over and and go through that second and think, okay, I've done the first one. I want to start the second one. And then you you have to revisit. You have to revisit the first one and then go through. And it's, like I said, it's a process, and it's painful. And it's a lot easier to just say, forget it. I don't want to deal with it. It is. I know that, uh, to your point about revisiting that first goal, I may conquer a demon. Right. It will come back. It will come back. And I need to be on guard for that. Um, but you're right. It's easier. I, when I was seeing a therapist a few years ago, he asked me a question that's resonated in my head my ever since then. He said, are you constantly waiting for the next shoe to fall? And I said, yes, I am. He said, okay, are you a warrior or a victim? Now, he knew I'd been in the, I, I'm a Marine. And I just looked at him. He said, when you're on the battlefield, do you hide in the fighting hole? I said, no, you go toward the shots. He said, even though it's dangerous, even though you may fail. I said, yeah, because you're, you're definitely going to die by ignoring the fight that's going on. You're better off to engage in the fight. And that's true with those demons. I'm better off to engage those demons than I am to ignore them. Because if I ignore them, they will beat me and beat me and beat me. But if I am willing to engage them, I might get beat down. But I can get back up and I can engage them again. I mean, I heard so many people say, when, I, I guess your dad, your dad's death was probably, me. I know it's been my biggest, biggest thing to conquer. But I've heard so many people say, Linda, you're strong. You know, I'm thinking, no, I'm not. I'm not strong. Uh, I can't do this. But at the same time, I hear you saying, Mom, you've got to do this. You know, you do it at your own own pace. You go a little at a time, and then tomorrow you do a little bit more and a little bit more. And then you'll find times like when we came up here to visit, and it's like, do I really want to go? Because I know there's going to be a lot of issues here with Dad that I have to, that I've got to deal with. Right. And uh, am I going to be able to to handle that? So, uh, and you're right back. You're going right back. But when people, I guess that was bothered me the most when people would say, you're strong. You're a strong person. I'm thinking, no, I'm not. You know, I'm it's like that fighter in the ring, though, or that kid that's on the wrestling mat. He's out there, and he's, you know, he's he's getting pummeled. What are the people in the crowd doing? They're cheering him They're on. Cheering him on. And even though he may think on one level that this, there's no way I'm going to win this, that little bit of encouragement causes him sometimes to dig down just a little bit deeper, and hold on just a little bit longer, and throw one more punch. Right. And 
it's just that bit of encouragement. It's like I said yesterday, and I think I already said it today. Everything you need is it's within there. you. It's just a matter of having the courage to open that box up. Or dig deeper and find it. Right. You're going to dig deeper. Because you know when you dig deeper, you're going to pull out stuff you really don't want to pull out. Well, you remember I was I was a small kid. I weighed 129 pounds when I was yeah. in the Marine Corps. And I remember we were on a forced march at boot camp. It was it was hot. We were in South Carolina. I was at Paris Island, South Carolina. It was hot. I'm carrying a full combat load, and I'm weighing 129 pounds, where these other guys are carrying a full combat load, which is about 80 pounds. And, um, you know, they're 160, 170 pounds. Well, this is a lot more weight in proportion for me to carry, and I literally dropped to my knees. I was about to give up, and my drill instructor come by, and he, of course, he's yelling, and he starts talking about intestinal fortitude. Asked me if I knew what that was. No, I don't. Well, I didn't say no, I don't. No, sir, this recruit doesn't. And he said it's when everything else is lost, when you have no more strength, you have nothing left to give, you dig down deep within you and you find that grit and you find that tenacity and you get back up and you go again. Do you have intestinal fortitude or not? And I push myself up and I finish that march. You know, and that that stuck with me my entire life. Every time I've gone through a dark time. Now, now keep in mind that doesn't happen immediately, and and that's back to that gradual teshuva that we discussed. There's been times in my life when I've just gone through that dark time. It's kind of like when you get punched in the face and you hit the mat and you just kind of lay there for a second. You're just kind of you're dazed. You're dazed, and then all of a sudden that moment clicks. You're like, okay, I got to get back up. Uh, and that's what's happened to me throughout my life. And it's going to happen again. When you go through that dark time, your, your, your blindfolds are on, your days, and all of a sudden that, that light of teshuva, as Rabbi Cook would define it, comes in. And that story of intestinal fortitude kicks back up. And you just got to dig in and go do it. But isn't that terrible to know it's going to come back sooner or later? And I'm, a lot of people look at that. It's going to come back sooner or later. So, why mess with it today? Because it'll make me more prepared and stronger for the future. So. Because if I don't mess with it today, and it beats me today, and then it comes back again, it beats me even harder the next time. And you go deeper and deeper and deeper. If I confront it today, and even if I don't completely destroy it, the next time it comes by, I can see it coming. And that's one thing I've noticed about my life. I can see... I can see certain things coming. It's like, okay, I know I'm in this situation right now. I know what my body's going to do. I know where my head's going to go if I don't do something now. And so, and that's like the reason I take the supplements that I take, the vitamin D, the B12. I know in the, in the winter, I know what's coming. I can almost tell you to the day, certainly to the month, when I'm going to go into that dark, bad feeling time. So, I know that's coming. I start preparing ahead of time. I start doing other things to make sure that it's not going to be as bad. Well, and you can see it on your face. Right. You can see it. You can see it in your personality and your outlook and how you react. others. It does. And conversely, well, as Rabbi Cook is teaching, not only does the negative affect others. The positive does too. The positive does too. And he's going to put that right here. Teshuva elevates a person above all the baseness of the world. Notwithstanding, it does not alienate a person from the world, but rather 
The Baal Teshuvah elevates life and the world within him. Sometimes people have a misunderstanding of Teshuvah. They think that Teshuvah comes to separate a person from the world. The opposite. By participating in the life around him, he elevates not only himself, but also the world. After returning to God, he must return to the world. It is our task to bring healing and perfection to this world, not I'm in the belief, or hell in the sense of the afterlife. I'm in the belief that every time Jesus mentions heaven or hell, he's talking about this life, how you can have it in this life, how to live now. There's very little discussion, even the prophetic discussions, are about how life is going to be in this life. Um, there's very little discussion at all about what it is to pass on to the next world. I don't think Jesus would have changed that message. And certainly when you go back and try to read in the context of what he's saying, he's telling people how to live in a life. Now remember, Rome was in power. Their boot was on the neck of the Jewish people. They were ostracized. Um, they were under a lot of oppression. And he's coming in telling them, you can have the kingdom of heaven now. It's at hand. And, um, and when you come to that understanding, not only do you bring healing to yourself, but you can bring healing to this world now and the people who are around you now. Where you are in the book, considering where we, why we're here today, uh, yeah. it helps think of things. And, uh, Guess what chapter 8 is entitled? I don't know what. Thoughts Make the Man. Remember that book by James Allen I let you read? Yeah, that was a good book. Uh, As a man thinketh, so is he. It's also a passage of scripture. It's a, it's a direct quote out of the scripture, but he's going to talk about the psychic, how we, how you think, and um, and we'll look into that. Well, that could be scary, couldn't it? Well, you are what you think, oftentimes, right? <laughs> and, and That's I, what I was saying. It could be scary for me. Well, right. It, well, it's like I talked yesterday. The stories we tell ourselves, the stories that we believe. Well, it's easy to tell myself stories. Because I'm the one that made them up. And it's easy to believe them. It's easy it's to believe easy that to who believe. I am right now is who I am. Is who I am. Is the totality of who I am. And what Teshuva is teaching us is, no, it's not who you are. And by the way, you did a great job yesterday. I was, I thought you did great, not because you're my son. Well, but that's why you, you did, thought I did great. No, you, you really, <laughs> you really did do good. And uh, Well, that one was. Uh, I, I was worried about you because I figured it would be hard and i'm sure it was but was that one harder than daddy's in a very different way different way uh shortly after this happened i was texting with rebecca uh about it and i told her i said i often wish uh, i'm wondering if there if i could have done more if I could have been more influential, if I could have took a more active role in mentoring Tyler, if I could have took a, and she said, I, I, you couldn't have done any more. Uh, and I said, well, I don't know. She said, well, I do. I thought, well, I, I don't know. But you always have that. You always have those thoughts. Oh, absolutely. But he was at your house, like you said. You was a Kool-Aid house. Mm -hmm. And when we would come to visit before we moved up here, he was always there oh he was he was there a lot like he i said was, he was one of the regulars at yeah, the house one of your regulars you he'd go in and get something out of the cabinet or yeah. out of the fridge and eat so. it i mean but um and for those that don't know that is let's see what episode that is i just posted it 24 i think 
Is it? It's episode twenty-four of the podcast. This will be episode twenty-five. So just go back. You can look it up. Well, and I like the poem that you read. That that was a cool poem. I never heard it. It didn't have the I'm author. Free. Yeah. Um, that was good. To because really and truly, he's free from his demons that he was fighting. And from his health issues. From his is. health issues and from everything that was going on in his life. Uh, it's a it's a sad. It was a sad day a sad moment and mm-hmm. uh, I won't begin to say that I know what she's going through because I don't his mother and I hope I never have to go through that but right. you know we never know we never know and I hope she can dig down and find her inner strength and you know do her grieving and be able to pick herself up a little and well, Kathy did very Go forward. well. I thought she did well. She did very well. Uh, I was obviously worried about that. Um, I got there early, like I had promised her, and made arrangements with the funeral home. Now, that for those of you who are in the South, we're again we're in the Pacific Northwest. F- funerals are a little bit different here. Well, they're a lot different. <laughs> okay, they're, they're a, lot, a lot different. <laughs> they're a lot different. In this particular funeral home, where everybody gathers, where that uh, eulogy is read or that message is, is shared. To the right and be- and behind the speaker is a family room that's got a one-way glass. So if the family is just too grieving too much or doesn't want all the uh, energy or all the, I'm, I'm looking for a word, all the Emotion. stress of everybody coming up and talking to them, they just want to be left alone. There's a private entrance there. It's got its own bathroom. It's got a private exit out of the, out of the funeral home so the family can get there. And that door is also leads into the area where everybody is sitting. So what we did was uh, the funeral director went and showed Kathy, gave her a tour of that, told her everything that was there for her. And um, and so Kathy elected, Kathy and the family elected to sit in the front row. And right next to them was that door. If things got too stressful, she could get up and just go in there and be alone and then exit on her own. But she didn't. She stayed through it and she did great. And she did. She did good. I don't, I don't know how you would do sitting. I guess you'd do okay, but I, I felt like with your dad, it's important for for me to be present. But they we didn't have that option. No, not at no. Not not there. Uh, but it's important. Different cultures are different, and they have funerals longer away. Than what we do, a lot of people do up here. Than what Typically, we do in, in the south, within two, within a few days, within yeah. that week at least, the body's the body's buried or interned. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times, it's not here just because a lot of people here are transplants, and right. so they're giving family and friends time to get in town for it. Plus, it's a pretty large community, and so they can, and there's not a lot of funeral homes here, and so you also have scheduling issues that you have to deal with. Well, yeah, that's the same. At home, if unfortunately a lot of people have passed at the same time and yeah. they're using the same funeral home, they have scheduling issues and it may be longer because because of that. So and that's that's okay. It just it's different. They do they do things different here. Your dad and I went to visit um, when we lived here. We went to visit. Um, a lady, you know, her, this guy's, he went to our church, yeah. Cambridge, 
and his mom had passed away, and she'd been gone for quite a while before we knew it. And we went to the visitation, and your dad asked where the family was, and they weren't there. Yeah. So. You'll see that oftentimes. The family will have a private mm-hmm. viewing and have a private little thing, and then they will set up something so that friends and other people can come and be a part of it, but they won't go. And they don't go. I, I don't know if that's because of the emotional factor involved or if that's, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, we just thought it was odd, but that was the first one we had been here, been to. And then we've seen them where they've been gone like uh, six months and they have a private funeral. Yep. And then they'll have, their family will come in and then they'll go through that, have a memorial service. Yep. And I'm thinking, that's a double whammy. For me. Well, you'll also see sometimes they'll have a, they might have a funeral here and then the go fam- somewhere else and have one because that's where they're from and the, and, and the bulk of their family is. I mean, that would be like if when you guys were living here and you or dad, had yeah, passed you away. said something about that, you know, when daddy was sick here, right? And uh, we would have one here, yeah, and I about died. And then when we get back, we'd have one, yeah, and I thought not. And you brought up that thing that, well, mom, it's. He has friends here and people that he has care friends about and him. family here that care about him. Yeah. Right, and uh, people he's worked with with the different churches and community that would want to pay tribute, and you you just couldn't do that. And I'm thinking, well, and you wouldn't necessarily have to be here. So, for example, Lackamas Heights would probably have a service in honor of him, and just let you know, hey, we're going to go ahead and do this. You, you're not expected because you're back there taking care of what you have to take care of. Um, I mean, that's a common thing. There All right. were several of their churches here did do a memorial. For Deb? When they heard about their da- about your dad. You know, it's just, well, there you go. Just a brief right. whatever I, in remembrance. And that was, I don't know how, probably included in their church service. but Probably. It was, uh, that was good. That was good. If you guys are wondering what that water is in the background, my son-in-law has these amazing fish tanks, and the one behind me is a saltwater tank. I gotta guess that's over a hundred gallons of water. So if you hear that water and part of the ambiance, that's what it is. Did you see Kaylee's babies back there? No. She's got two baby baby fishes back there. Fishes? Yeah, fish. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, mom. Goodbye. See you next time. All right. You have a safe trip. I will.